So I'm sitting by the pool drinking my hot cafe mocha reading the Talmud the other day. Oh, yeah. And do your dirty work of going and complaining to yeah. somebody for you ain't going to happen. No. I'm feeling like the third bird dog. <laughs> you, you have babe. to be excommunicated uh-huh. out of relationship. And, and stuck in a basement. This message sucks. stinks. <laughs> There's explicit right there. Welcome to the club of the initiated man. You better not be recording this or I'm never walking with you again. Oh, there we go. Got a sassy brunette. You know, do something, do anything, but just don't sit there. Hey, don't you have something better to do? You've stumbled on the Invisible Humanitarian Podcast from Prince Edward Island on the east coast of Canada, where we discuss hiking, culture, life, theology, running, stories, West Africa, books, you name it. Well, good afternoon, Marvin. Afternoon. We have uh, Marvin Clark with us, a uh, longtime friend of mine, man of many talents and skills. Joining us, we're sitting on Prince Edward Island on the uh, Cardigan River, Burbrudenell River. Burbrudenell. Yeah, near Cardigan, across from the Mill River Resort, and uh, enjoying the sunshine and the deck today. And uh, Marvin. Uh, is going to talk to us about a few of his uh, life experiences. What, Marvin, can you tell us the three most uh, interesting experiences you had in your life and what work positions you served in? Uh, certainly could try, and it's not something I spend much time uh, contemplating, but I uh, started out uh, in uh, medicine and um, came over to Prince Island in 1961. Stayed there for about eight or nine years, then went from there over to Dalhousie University in uh, medical education and administration, assistant dean of the medical school, and uh, with the responsibility for keeping physicians out in the community up to date across Atlantic Canada. Uh, went from there to um, down to Michigan, did a master's in educational psychology, which was an interesting experience, being exposed to that culture. From there, we came back to Dalhousie University and uh, back to my regular job only to uh, get uh, come to time for my sabbatical year where so we had a year off every seven years so we planned on uh, doing some work now related to my medical education studies and look at education across Europe and how physicians were educated and the differences in that and during that time, of course, we visit many countries across Europe with the boys in a camper van, and that was an adventure. <laughs> uh, they claimed to have learned all kinds of wonderful life skills from watching us down the crack of the bed and things like that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> stories were not elaborated. No, okay. that's right. Yeah, so where, where did or let 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 let's just kind of we'll, we'll we'll step back to that. Yeah. So you've had some life experience, just to say the least. Yes. Um, right. And you started in Europe. Where did you start your trip from? What, uh, well, what we went where did to you start? Where sent, did you go? Sent our camper van, our Schultz van uh, Volkswagen, I guess we called it. Sent it over to Belgium. We flew into London. Then Kier and I went over on. Uh, the train to Belgium and uh, picked it up. I'd find out that it had been robbed and much of the stuff we had inside it had been stolen or disrupted. But anyway, that didn't bother us. We took it in stride, mm-hmm. hit back to London. And from there, we uh, stayed four months in, in London, the sit proper, and then started to travel about to uh, various centers in England and up in Scotland. Mm. 
And uh, did you did you did you uh, notice a, uh, what, like what was the most significant difference between the medical system there uh, that you noticed while you were traveling? Well, I, I think that probably the thing that was more difficult to overcome everywhere we went, they were anxious to show us their things, their their hospital, their new instrumentation, and mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And I had very little interest in it. I don't mean no interest, but I was more interested in how they got to people to be concerned about the wellness of the people that came to them, helping them out to get well from various diseases. And, the, mm -hmm. and uh, so it usually took a little bit of adaption on the part of the people we visited to, 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 to say, well, no, we won't visit the hospital and we won't see the newest buildings here, yeah. the newest CAT scanners, but we'll go. So anyway, but uh, yeah, essentially... Tell us how you're loving people and helping people is what you want to do. That's hear. right. We were, that's <laughs> what we are after. Just how do they do it? How do they, do they select them out? And indeed, that was the case, that many people were selected on the basis of how they had acted their life to the point of entering medical school. Mm -hmm. and uh, what kind of volunteer things, what kind of attitudes they had to the less well-off, mm -hmm. poor, and the, and the uh, those with various disabilities and color differences. Hmm. Anyway, we uh, found out that uh, there was not uh, too much uh, difference in how they taught them. They were so smart, most of these students, they could learn if you put it upside down or backwards. They yeah. They just were able to absorb it if you put the basic scientists blended in with the clinical uh, uh, sort of uh, examples. They could learn that way, or if you separated them by two years, mm -hmm. uh, they still learn the same. They'd still <laughs> hook the pieces up, and yeah. so uh, we didn't find very much different. I was reading all the world literature too, and had a chance to get to Russia during that time yeah. for a couple of weeks. Tell me about your Russia trip. Uh, well, that was kind of interesting. <laughs> I, it was it was was not straightforward. We we got a, a a permission to get a visa for me. My wife wouldn't have anything to do with traveling in there, and the boys <laughs> were disinterested, and uh, <laughs> they were getting on to living in England now and going to grammar school and uh, all of the social things that involved. But anyway, uh, got got a visa and uh, everything was going fine until the Canadian government threw out 13 Russians for sabotage at which time they spying the Russian, sabotage uh, yeah, in, in, yeah up in Canada and they said you get out of Canada wow so they called all the visas back in I wouldn't turn mine in so they called me into the Russian embassy in London on repeated occasions <laughs> and um, I said no I'm not into any of this stuff I'm just here talking about physician training and that kind of thing so they never did take the visa from me, but they gave me a hard time and said I wouldn't enjoy it. They weren't very, they were going to receive me and entertain us and show us around, but yeah. they were withdrawing all that of, if, because of the bad Canadian government. Yeah. But anyway, eventually, after it's, uh, there's a lot of turmoil there and visiting the Russians and being led to different parts of England and where they had their head offices. And You said at one point, you I don't know if it was when you went to the embassy, they had a a, a fake, fake front for their embassy where you you rang the buzzer. Yes. But when they spoke to you, they were in a different building or yes, something? Yes, I went to Kensington Gardens, you know, where yeah. Princess Margaret and that crew live. We went, I had to go up there once to talk to them after this, about the third visit, and they, uh, I was talking to this uh, great big cement post, and uh, it was talking back to me and uh, what I was about, and I told them, and eventually they said, well, turn around and walk directly across the street behind you to building such and such and I did and when they opened the door this 
about seven foot uh, seven <laughs> um, guy opened the door and said, hello, come in. And I did go in. There was no question I was going to obey him. And he said, sit. And I was sitting. And, <laughs> and uh, then they took me into a soundproof room, which was, oh. I, I knew what was going on because I had had some experience with naval intelligence. I didn't mention that while I was going through med school. Yeah, they anyway, probably already do it. So they, they piled me into this room and... Uh, hmm. And uh, in the room, uh, they had uh, very obvious cameras and microphones and stuff. So I knew they, they're not very, their technology is not very indiscreet, as you can yeah. see it. Yeah. Anyway, they come in and this uh, little pipsqueak come in, a uh, little uh, Russian who was trained in a very high-pitched voice and an English accent. And uh, he told me that he couldn't understand why I would want to be a spy for Canada and go into their country and destroy these people who were so loving and full of love for the whole world. Yeah. And I claimed that none of that was true. And um, anyway, it, it went along pretty good. Uh, there was about two or three hours I was locked in this room. And there's various people come in and ask me questions of various kinds. But finally, this little squeak came back in again and he told me that uh, they just were having no part of this and uh, I told them that uh, in that case I was not very well mannered and I told them and he could stick Russia in his rear end because I'd uh, write the book without them about rest of Europe and, yeah. and um, to my startling surprise which I shouldn't have been they told me uh, as soon as they said that they turned to me and said your ticket will be in your mailbox when you get home. <laughs> And uh, and I went across London, and sure enough, I flew out the next day. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> they they seemed to just a little determination on my part. I guess I didn't know I was doing the right thing. I probably I did the wrong thing. And yeah. So uh, so when you went, it wasn't just you who went. Well, no, I I was caused to go with um, the British Railway Union, which was a communist union. And uh, they paired me up. They told me I would travel with them on their flight. They had some sort of a charter. They frequently went to Russia. And so there were some Americans and some Europeans and myself on that. And uh, for, by some mechanism or other, I ended up with a young, about 22-year-old American who later I found out was a CIA agent. But anyway... Uh, sent to keep tabs to, on to you? Keep, to help me make sure I got into no trouble. And the Canadian Embassy did check every single day. Are you all right? We don't want any detail. If you're not all right, we look after it. You just tell us. Okay? okay not okay. And they did that every day I was there. Yeah, yeah. And um, that was just reassuring, really. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we didn't do anything, but this little guy I was with uh, got into hell reselling jeans and chewing gum. And so we got left out of several of the tours that were set up for the British Railway Union. They, they'd eliminate us. Oh, yeah, because they're, they're communists and yeah, they, they, great they, lovers of Russia at the but, time. But uh, yeah. when we get into the conference room, it was, it was not unusual to have a lot of Russian youth there, too. And... Um, not a lot, but I mean four or five, mm -hmm. and they'd sit next to you. They always seemed to want to get next to you, so when they sit next to us, they'd uh, take your hand and put it underneath the table and show you where the mic was that was picking up our conversation right? and say, oh, we love our country, you know. And, uh, and wow. so uh, we thought, we, uh, well, this is interesting. We were being monitored there. Same in the residence we went in. They went through all their materials every day, and I used to read the Bible, and they thought there had to be some significance to where I was in my reading, so they'd 
always be into the Bible and probably take a picture of the page yeah, you were on to see if there was a code see or something. There was something and <laughs> wow. So it was an interesting stay. So did you actually get to interview some uh, doctors a there? A lot or? of them after a while, they decided that I was so determined that they might as well deal with me. Yeah. So they had them come in and they were all indoctrinated. Yeah. I don't know how we get off on this topic, but anyway, they oh, were all indoctrinated and uh, they'd tell me and I'd say, well, isn't that interesting, you know? I'll, I'll make a note of that, but that's contrary to what you've written in the world medical journals. Oh, you were a spy, and then they'd go on again about how I was bad, and they were trying to be so helpful to me, and I was cute. And I'd say, well, no, I have the article here, and it says such and such, and you just told me such and such. And they'd say, oh, no, we, you, you're not listening, you know, and they'd leave. And yeah. So I had various kind of unsatisfactory <laughs> uh, encounters with them, but they all came in with a pre-programmed storyline, which didn't fit in with what was really going on. Yeah. Now, why, why, why do you think they would say something different to your face than I what they were writing in the journals? Were, I think they were trying to stay up with the world's, uh, the world picture where the education was. So they claimed to be doing what was being done in Harvard or Yale. Oh, or, right, yeah. And, um, and when I'd say, well, isn't that funny? Because here in this article, you said that. And hmm. So it wasn't a very satisfactory thing, but they did. Uh, we had some interesting times. We were there for the May Day Parade. And we were up to... Uh, up to um, uh, what's the big city now? Uh, Moscow? Uh, no, well, Moscow. Kiev or... Uh, uh, no. the, the up where they have the big museum. Oh, the P Petersburg? St. Petersburg. Petersburg, yeah. And, um, and, and everywhere we went, and they showed us uh, literally a hundred museums. Every museum was a church at one time, mm -hmm. and now it's called a museum. And um, beautiful artwork, beautiful engineering, and beautiful uh, statues, and and uh, Stations of the Cross and things like that. It's just absolutely a beautiful, beautiful, very rich environment to be in. Mm -hmm. was, they, that, <laughs> was that the trip you were saying that uh, some of them were really excited to get to Mother Russia because they love communism and others they, quite, or got quite shocked once they got there? When we got there off the plane, the first time I've ever seen it is several of the people as they got off ahead of me in the lineup bent over and uh, set their bags aside and kissed the ground and oh, how Mother Russia, they were glad. Well, we were only there about four days when uh, something happened, and they said, "This isn't what communism is really like. We know what communism is, and this isn't the this is this and it." No, they started to, and we'd go on a bus trip, and they instead of going back to the bus, they'd all go in different directions, and they yeah. bus drivers would cry out and yell, "Oh, come back, come back! I'll be put in jail if I any of you get wander around their society and spy on us." And, oh my! Anyway, it was kind of a different visit, but. So that's yeah. just one of the trips I was on. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so what was your role in Dalhousie? Uh, what was it? You, you was it was it a research role, a study role, no, or connecting I, I, with I, doctors I, to the community? What was the nature well, of that role? Well, first, first, the primary uh, appointment was to keep the maritime physicians out in the field, up to date. So I would have to visit every community hospital in Maritime Canada mm -hmm. twice a year, and try to work out a program of education for them, where we take professors from. For the French-speaking part, we'd get them in Quebec and uh, Sherbrooke and the University of Quebec and McGill and get them mm. to come down to provide whatever education I was trying to put on. Yeah. And the rest would come from Dal. So we'd set out something that they wanted to learn to help them in their day-to-day -day walk and uh, whether we set up a program. 
across the La latest best prax yeah. practices yeah. and research or that's information right. or things like that so that's what we did and then we also had big expensive conferences down in halifax where we had to bring them into the conference instead of the conference out to them mm -hmm. but uh, the most effective was was when the teaching did right in their own thing where they had to present their everyday cases mrs murphy and mm -hmm. my mother aunt and you know that sort yeah. of thing they really learned yeah and so yeah. That's what I did there, and then I did when I went back to the school. I was teaching family physicians to go out into practice around right. Maritime Canada. Too. So, what was your what was your favorite? Did you did, uh, did you uh, find that practicing medicine yourself gave you the most satisfaction and joy in your life? Absolutely, or I found that every stage of my life, and it's and I had several opportunities to to return to practicing medicine. Mm -hmm. When like when I finished the tally, I ended up in. Deputy Minister of Health of PEI, and again I returned to practice for 15 years, and then I went over to Africa and other things. But uh, always the joy, the real joy came when sick people come in and entrust their problems to, to with you, and you, you try to help them to come up with some meaningful approach to them, or at least a, an acceptance or an understanding, mm -hmm. and that's where the real joy was. Yeah, getting to know people and yeah, deal with them. All the administration stuff. I could do, and I think reasonably well, but there wasn't the same jollies from it. That yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Well, Mer or Milton and I, your son, we worked in West Africa together, and yeah. you came and joined us in a small yeah. medical clinic over there. I wasn't involved in the clinic, but you were with uh, yes, that was your daughter a, a good two years of uh, of uh, practicing medicine in an entirely different environment, having people die in your waiting room, which I never experienced before. But anyway, um, I felt extremely pleased that God had given us an opportunity to go there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Milton, I saw your skills in organizing things there, and uh, we came to the conclusion that uh, that uh, uh, Marvin could run a small country all by himself if he wanted to. <laughs> he had such management skills; they were yeah. they were quite incredible. So. I, I think they, I think the Africans at times felt them pretty oppressive, especially when you asked them at a certain meeting, "Would you commit to do something?" They'd say yes very oh. quickly, but they, the next meeting when you followed up and say, how did you make out? They, yeah. they just didn't follow through. They had yeah, quite, a, quite a cultural gap there. Yeah, that that, that idea of, uh, of a strategic and committed planning is uh, a little, it, yeah. it's a long, it's a different learning curve with that yeah, culture. They certainly didn't yeah. seem to have yeah. The, yeah. The, the knowledge that that was the way. But uh, yeah. I've talked to one of them in now 2020 and uh, He's now the pastor at the fa at the fame site over in uh, Bangaroo, and mm -hmm. he's telling me he's now sees uh, the benefit he's learned from, remembers how he used to organize these mm -hmm. things, and he's yeah. now doing that some yeah. more, and uh, yeah. how beneficial it is to yeah. getting things done, following up on them. Yeah, yeah, it's good. A very high AIDS uh, situation when you came <laughs> there to there Bangaroo was. and Agriculture. Yeah, there there was, and then since and they had Ebola coming up in some of the countries, and. Lots of diseases, certainly even malaria itself was unfamiliar to me, and it was yeah. much more serious than I thought. TB and, yeah. and uh, every, there's various diseases. Just trying to, I even forget the names of some of the diseases, to be honest with you. But anyway, we managed to use the literature and the books and the internet to get information on how to manage them. And yeah, yeah. God was good. Yeah, quite a learning curve there. Uh, you were, you. Uh, uh, I remember one uh, an interesting thing. We were heading down to Abidjan together, you and uh, your son Milton and I, and and uh, 
I, I, this this goes back to your naval intelligence days, I think, because <laughs> that was kind of interesting. Anyways, uh, you, you you sat in the back and we were chatting, and uh, Milton and I were in the front of the Land Rover, and uh, and then you said, um, okay, well, I'm I'm going to have a have a rest for about fifteen or sixteen minutes or eighteen minutes or whatever you said, and uh, I'll I'll go to sleep, and he said, and I said I'll be I'll be up or whatever, and anyway, and then you just kind of leaned over sideways in that seat and you put yourself to sleep in a matter of two minutes yeah. and and you were awake within a minute or two of what you had said yes. and and, uh, and you had said that you were trained to do that well i was and i learned it well in obstetrics i was doing about 150 deliveries a year in prince Edward island when i was there and and yeah. um, i used to be able to go in examine a lady decide what stage she was at and how the progress was coming and go back put myself to sleep and wake up in seven minutes ten minutes twelve minutes whatever i set my clock and, <laughs> can uh, you explain that process <laughs> to us what's well, the magic i know <laughs> i think it's just a matter of experience with it uh, yeah. but uh, i think we all have the ability if we'll just use it huh. and uh, it worked a charm because then i go back just as bright as a button and check yeah. and say oh quite a change since i was here you work on a <laughs> have another half hour and we'd be through and that yeah. sort of thing yeah it was amazing uh you said uh, that you had an interesting uh experience uh, uh i don't know if it was down in halifax but where the where there was uh, u-boats hacking hacking your your communications in the building or something and, uh, and can you tell us that story and how you knew they were hacking or uh, or getting information well, and you didn't know where it was coming from? yeah can you well that, the, the, during the war they created various systems big uh, cables and things to keep the ships that they coming into the harbor they went right to the bottom to to buoys in the top and and then they had electronic devices that could detect passing things too right anyway and i was on duty in the command control center of the navy and uh, we actually and this was halifax halifax yeah, yeah. Time, and we yeah. Had, and we had a a system of of listening devices around the coastline from down the North Carolina right up, clean up to the Arctic, and we wow. could listen and, and we could label the kinds of ships traveling and what they were doing and who they were rendezvousing with and uh, wow. that sort of thing. So we had all this coming into our big charts yeah. automatically being plotted, and we had connection to the dew line in the north. And, yeah. But anyway, uh, one night I was on, and the, the commissioner down at the Nova Scotia Hotel on the bottom of the city down by the park called and said, sir, were you expecting a G-class uh, Russian submarine? And I said, uh, pardon, uh, were you expecting one? He said, and I said, no, no, we weren't. He said, well, one just surfaced behind the hotel. Well, that meant he had gone over four of our detection methods to keep any, to, so I could read who was coming in out of the harbor. He actually surfaced. And he actually surfaced and stayed up about 15 minutes and figured now it's time to go. And then I, I had, of course, had to alert everybody about that, and the admiral included. And uh, <laughs> by the time we got to him, got after him, I'll say, with the plane set of Sherwater, and he took a very deep dive underneath the Sambro light vessel, yeah. down the best part of a mile down. And wow. We couldn't reach him with anything we had. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, that was something. the end of it. And he timed how long it took us to react to him. And yeah, yeah. Knew, anyway... And uh, you said that one one time uh, that you, they realized that there some communications uh, from the office were being uh, oh, oh, being yeah. beamed onto. Well, actually, I came, I encountered that when we back our earlier conversation about going to Russia. Yeah, is they they had uh, I had uh, 
they they had a, a system of cables that are all insulated so they couldn't be interrupted running around the command control center where the, this office that I had all this information coming in and if they could get four feet uh, in a row a straight line of of uh, wire even though it was all insulated they could read what was going through it the communications yeah and the Russians had been doing that and when I went in they told me you know my what my so, the number is my military number. What year was there when I had dealt with some Russian vessels that had come in? Yeah, and uh, they told me the whole thing oh, that man. they had got. So that's that. Yeah. You said you said at one point uh, uh, you you guys had got some counterintelligence back, so you knew that your messages you were transmitting on your cable were being hacked. Yeah, because you had them hacked. And uh, what it was is it was a U-boat or a sub was beaming on the wire on the side of a building or something. Yeah, well, they, they they were picking it up in the side of the command control center. There was yeah. this place where the cable came out of the building, went around, then went back in again. Right, and, and it should have been inside. Should have been inside. Right, and they found this piece of this direction is, yeah. is that where the message was. Wow. But we used yeah. to uh, the Cold War wasn't as cold as you think. We if they didn't surface when we told them to in the waters off Atlantic Canada, we uh, depth charged them. Yeah, wow. And uh, that was in peacetime, of course. And, yeah. uh, do, you, do you remember many being depth charged? Well, I remember a couple, or, or but that's, it, that, that's that top not, secret. That, that's not, not good yeah. information, but... Uh, yeah. It, uh, I remember occasions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I remember, I remember reading, uh, uh, reading a story one time. They were saying about U-boats or something uh, during the war uh, uh, surfacing in Newfoundland in the fjords of Newfoundland, oh, and there was a big debate. And they were saying, no, no, that never happened. It never it happened. It happened. Lots of it. Yeah. 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 You ever have a Newfoundlander call you in a panic? Yes, we certainly did, and uh, <laughs> we found that the, what they, what that was there was truth in what they were saying. And, we could detect where the vessel was and sailing in the little inlets. Wow. So they really were there. They really were there. Yeah. That's they, sometimes, mostly they obeyed when they were told to serve it. Uh, and uh, sometimes they didn't. Yeah. And then we had to go from there. Wow. Yeah. So uh, so after you retired, um, you were you were still involved in assisting in, in medical surgeries and yeah, stuff in no, Summerside, yeah, your home through, area? I went uh, from... When I came back from my sabbatical year in Europe, I thought, now I owe Dalhousie some, some time because of uh, uh, my sabbatical year. And I, I felt that now I had been in those seven years before I was tenured and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, the president of the university called me and said, I talked to my friend Ali Campbell over in the island, Premier Campbell. Henry Hicks was the name of the president. Yep. And he said, I told him that uh, I, could, I could help him out. They want you to go over as Deputy Minister of Health. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I actually met with the cabinet four times before I said yes. And um, did, you, anyway, did you find that a, a good experience, challenging? I found it was probably the hardest working time of my entire life. I, I never worked so hard, and uh, thank God we were successful. We managed to design a new hospital, which is serving us well now, and, mm -hmm. and a new system of mental health that's just coming into being. And mm -hmm. So there's lots of things there, and yeah. it, was, it was sort of some reward in that, but nothing like the reward of seeing some unfortunate soul overcome their illness or yeah, or yeah. accept their... Yeah, because I remember, I, I, I was young, but I kind of remember the story, boy, you were in the newspaper because uh, in, in, in working for the strengthening and reorganizing the medical system to be very yeah, efficient, yes. that uh, that you actually, uh, as a deputy minister, had to tackle some corruption and uh, yeah, we did, issues yeah. and... Uh, <laughs> we had to call the RCMP fraud squad in within four months of my arrival and... Um, 
that was not a way to become popular with your department heads, especially yeah. when you put one, two of them in jail, one in the penitentiary, and uh, yeah. you know it, it wasn't a good way to get along with your workmates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, but but you, uh, it was it anyway, was for the God good. was good. He gave yeah. me a chance to stand on truth. And yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what um, what would be your advice to a young woman or a young gentleman that is heading for medicine if, if, if you know looking at them at this at this modern day if they had to develop something in their character uh, develop something in their life um I, i'm not even thinking so much of, of like the, the technical skills from medical yeah. books but but what 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 kind of character what kind of mindset and mentality do you think that we need in, in to be a doctor today and practice medicine today what would well, be the most important i think important it's always thing? been the same it's a a love for your fellow man and woman and that you know you really you really, you, you're prepared to listen to them. You're prepared to work as a partner with them, not to take over. Mm -hmm. You're going to help them to manage their lives to the best of your ability, give them any information you have. And I think if they're open to that kind of shared learning and uh, mm -hmm. cooperation, uh, because it's so hard because in order to get into medicine, they make you compete. And your whole goal is to beat everybody else out and not tell them, the little secret you know, and then you get ahead of them in the marks and in the evaluations. Mm -hmm. So here you want somebody who, on the other hand, is prepared to work partner with somebody and work in love, not in not in competition. And it's kind of it can be a little yeah, a little of a cutthroat, cut yeah. but yet you, that's not the kind of person that thrives no. in, in being a doctor. So uh, yeah. I think that that's a, the big thing, and and mm -hmm. I think the second thing is to be very very quick to recognize what you don't know, and then to commit yourself to. Uh, go along with the patient and the four and between the two years to figure it out yeah. go seek out whatever help you can to come up with an answer but mm -hmm. on the the last thing you do is pretend you know the answer when you don't mm -hmm. yeah so uh you, you're uh, you're a person of faith faith that's right that's uh, leader in leader in a church uh, a, uh at 80 some years old we'll not say your exact age but no, still it's a, 84 uh, yeah uh, uh, still a leader an elder in the church yeah and and um survival uh, depends upon it how how did, how, did, how has your faith helped you uh to be a more caring doctor do you think has it changed your mentality how, and have you ha, do you know others who have a strong faith in the medical field oh, and how yes, it worked uh, for them there were although we the medicine itself if you had to generalize, you'd have to say it was uh, not Christian. It was against Christian belief system. It had tended to go along more with a, a, an evolutionary approach to things, you know. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of talk about that, even though you, you you probably doubted it yourself, you had to regurgitate it back to mm -hmm. get the right answer for various questions. So I think that it uh, your faith was challenged in medical school. It was not valued. Mm -hmm. And um, but there were a Christian Medical Dental Society that we used to meet socially, and that helped some. But uh, no, it uh, medicine uh, it threatened uh, faith, and that made me all the more certain that I needed to find a closer way to get to God and uh, bring His His power into my life. And yeah, did God bring other a few a, oh, a few other Christian doctors oh, into, uh, a lot into your over life the years? Uh, not so many numerous as many as deep. Deep, and the yeah. ones that were good were. Really, really Very helpful. Good, yeah. Really, sincerely wanted to help you to yeah. deal with whatever issue was on your plate, and there often were yeah. various kinds of urges, you know, because you could easily become uh, geared to 
being the best this or that or the making the most money or mm-hmm. being the having the best recognition and position mm-hmm. in the system and instead of being a, the most caring and competent yeah. you know <laughs> that's right yeah. so yeah i remember my mom mom uh, i don't remember if it was her surgery or or her sister's surgery but i remember her saying uh before the surgery, uh, the doctor that was going to do the surgery was a, was a Christian man. Yeah. And, uh, and there was another Christian doctor in the hospital. And before he went into surgery, this other doctor came along. They went into a side room and there was a window in there. And uh, anyways, and they were standing in there and they held hands. And, yeah. uh, and mom said, uh, said to the nurse, she said, are they praying? She said, they pray together before every surgery, before they put a knife yeah, on Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing when you get that opportunity. And it, yeah. and, and it, 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 is, it does happen. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to have several people. They weren't as aggressive in prayer as that. But mm-hmm. uh, on a mission trip since then, I've been with various physicians to the Caribbean and all. And mm-hmm. some of them would never, ever, ever consider seeing anybody without praying with them before they left the, yeah. you know, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah. No, it's a good field because I, I, I know with nurses and I, and I, I, I've never worked in the medical field other than I actually worked in janitorial services yeah. in a hospital one time. And, and, uh, and I always mm-hmm. thought that, you know, uh, uh, the nurses that I looked at the most, the most, the most competent were the ones that had, had the most care. You know, that they yeah. genuinely expressed a love and concern for the patients. It wasn't just come in, here's your pills, deal with this, bang, 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 bang. You know, they would they would ask little questions. Did your wife call today? How's she doing? Yeah. You know, did your grandson call? Uh, yeah. You know, everything good with your grandchild today? And, you know, it yeah. just, it, they tried. They Treat tried you to as a person in. rather than a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was good. Yeah, a, a hernia or a gallbladder, you became Andy. Yeah. You had a large practice when you were on the island. Yeah, what a blessing I did. Was, I was it told, three three thousand? You had thir- you yeah, told about thirty three hundred wow. cases. But I was told that I um, there was no room for me on a couple of occasions. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, but anyway, we took a chance, and the Lord <laughs> rose up. Uh, wonderful, pra- wonderful people. Yeah. yeah. And now you're retired. Do you find you miss it, or do you enjoying this stage yeah, of life? Yeah, How do you feel no, about I, retirement? I, I, I find I miss the intimate contact with people but on the other hand i realized i had a choice to make as i went through years of retirement whether i was going to try to keep up to date yeah and for a while i tried to keep current and then realized it was just too much when you're not applying it to hold on to it you yeah. can't hold on to yeah. it so i eventually decided i was a retired doctor not a current doctor yeah. and then got well <laughs> what else can i do to help out got yeah. involved in the church and Rotary and things like that. Yeah, and, and medical mi- or mission work, ministry many, with fame many, for a while. Yeah, yeah, with fame, many missions. That took us over to Africa for a couple of years and then down yep. to the Caribbean many times. Yeah, equipping our little clinics for places for people to minister and yeah. minister where, where big hospitals weren't and yeah. neglected places, yeah. We also had a chance to take um, superseded equipment and supplies mm-hmm. that... Um, had been created in Little Prince Edward Island and put them into containers and send them to places in need. Mm-hmm. And now we're hooked Wheel up with chairs, beds, beds that, you know, all we're going that into service here, but we're still uh, still excellent. had a lot of use in them down there. Yeah. And uh, now got hooked up with the World Health part of Rotary, and they have uh, all the Rotary clubs in the world, which is uh, mm-hmm. two, what uh, about, I guess. 
200,000 clubs wow. in uh, 14 or 15 major countries. And, yeah. Well, and, even, uh, even fame, uh, when yeah. you were president, how many containers of, of medical equipment yeah, well, did you we, send? Well, I don't know, but we certainly tried to get lot. one a year away. Yeah. And the uh, same thing is going on now. I've got the Rotary Club I'm in the Summerside is trying to get away one 40-foot container a year of these mm -hmm. supplies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And th and that's on an island of people with 135,000 yeah, yeah. people, well, right? We, so, that's right. And yeah. So. Some of the stuff we got from uh, adjacent provinces, but most of it we didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of it just goes to dump. That's what it was doing in PEI before we got picking it up. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time today, Marvin. Yeah. You're very welcome. Yeah. Well, you have a good afternoon, and uh, maybe I'll go get you a coffee as a reward, and yeah. <laughs> I'll pat your back. Thank How's you. That? Scratch, <laughs> right, well, scratch. Thanks for tuning in thanks, to the Al. Invisible Humanitarian, guys. We're glad to have Marvin here today, and uh, it's been a good day. Rabbi Shammai mm -hmm. was approached by a guy who's asking the exact same question, and nobody tells the story that the Talmud says that next, Shammai beats the man with a stick. <laughs> What circumcision? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first time I asked answer. mom what a virgin was, and all the adults in the kitchen yeah. went silent. But what kind but, of surgeon? Uh, a rocket surgeon. <laughs> Very excited about that. <laughs> we want you to be our rabbi. Well, okay. Rabbi Harding. Jesus <laughs> told me I'm not to insist that men call me rabbi. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you still here? You must be a real sucker for punishment. Thank you for listening to the Invisible Humanitarian Podcast today. Check out our website at theinvisiblehumanitarian.ca or check us out on our Facebook page. Please subscribe to us and leave us a good rating on your favorite podcast subscriber. And please, whatever you do, tell all your crazy friends about this podcast. 